Hello, and welcome back to Shockingly Wicked, a true crime podcast where we bring you true crime cases from the headlines to the hometowns. I'm Brianna. I'm Brittany. And we are your hosts for the evening. Can you believe that January went by so quickly? Because <laughs> I can't. I keep thinking about it, and I'm just like, how is it already, like, February? I don't... I'm not going to lie. I'm just ready to be done. <laughs> <laughs> just just done in general yeah i'm not like suicidal or anything i'm just i'm no i i get you sometimes it's just like why why does existence purpose? have to be a thing yeah no literally what is the meaning of life well, listeners what is the meaning of life tell us what you what you think the meaning of life is i know that's a very existential question but you know it we're is all having is. an existential crisis <laughs> I am perpetually having a midlife crisis because I don't know oh. when the, my life is going to end. So it, any time could be the middle of my life. So <laughs> that's 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 that on that. So today it's <laughs> Valentine's Day is right around the corner, and for me that has always meant that it's my brother's birthday. So your brother's never... birthday is on Valentine's Day. It is indeed. So, R.I.P. to Rory. Sorry that you have to deal with that for the rest of your life. <laughs> Wait, okay. So, your brother's on Valentine's Day, and your brother and your sister-in-law are getting married on Amanda's birthday? Yes, that is correct. What's going on on your birthday? <laughs> um, nothing. <laughs> I'm turning 31. That's what's happening. Oh, so, um, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that... I'm sure something will probably happen. Like, my dad's birthday is August 11th, and mine is the 13th, so we usually do, like, a joint celebration of some you know kind. You funny? So. Chris is what? younger than you. <laughs> yes, yes, he is. I, it's funny because, like, most of my friends are younger than me, but then, like, it's remembering how much younger they are than me. I'm just like, wow, that would be creepy in any other context. <laughs> no, it's okay, because I'm always the youngest. Like, in any setting I'm in, except my family, mm -hmm. I'm always the youngest. I work, I'm the youngest. Oh, my friends, mm -hmm. I'm the youngest. I'm over it. Well, I mean, you've lived a lot of life in your short years, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a whole thing. Stick around and join the Patreon <laughs> to learn about all the fucked up things that happen in Britney's life. Valid, because there's a lot of it, and we will go into <laughs> into detail. So, yeah, Valentine's Day is right around the corner, which means we are doing a special Valentine's Day episode. And I say special because the crime happened on Valentine's Day. And no, it is not the Valentine's Day Massacre. I thought about doing that one, but I figure most people probably know a little bit about it. So we went a little more niche. Um, we're going to be talking about the case of Ignacia Manriquez Moreno. So... Buckle up. This one is... It's sad. But I guess most of these cases are sad in that sense. But yeah, we're going to go ahead and dive right in with some background. Our victim is Ignacia Manriquez Moreno. She was born on February 1st in 1964 in Mexicali, Mexico. For those of you who aren't aware, Mexicali is essentially right along the border between Mexico and California hence the name, but it is the capital city of the Mexican state of Baja, California, which I said is right along the border. So she was born to Antonio and Aurelia Manriquez, and she had a lot of siblings. I counted nine uh, from all the stuff I read. So she had five sisters and four brothers. I'm not entirely sure where she fell in the birth order, but they were Felipa, Gloria, Aurelia, Maria, Guadalupe, Carme, 
uh, Antonio Jr., David, and Roberto. David. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's David. like with, with all of the other names, it's just David. Hello. <laughs> Okay. Um, so, like I said, she was born in Mexico, but she petitioned to become a naturalized citizen on January 1st, 1989, where her name was officially changed to just Ignacia Manriquez, so she dropped her maternal surname. It's common in Hispanic cultures. Um, they have both surnames. They have, I think it's the father's surname first and then the mother's surname second, if I remember correctly. Um, but obviously here in the United States, that's not as common, so... Um, yeah, when she became a middle name. Yeah. So when she became an American citizen, she dropped the uh, mother's surname, but I believe it became like her middle name. I'm not 100% sure on that. So she was described as being a homemaker for 10 years. So stay at home mother. Um, I have already mentioned how much I respect people who can do that because I know I could never be a stay at home mother. I would be, I would go crazy. She was also described as being kind hearted and warm, which. I mean, I I generally we generally hear that as the description for yeah. most um, victims for most victims, I would think. But then again, I don't think anybody's going to be like, oh, yeah, he was a real asshole, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. So um, so she had three children with Juan Navarro. She had two daughters. They were seven and 11, respectively, at the time this happened. I don't know which one was older, but one of them was named Annabelle, and the other was Lucia. And then they had one son who was four years old, and it was Juan Navarro Jr., and his nickname was Juanito. Um, in Spanish, when you add Ito at the end of something, it means little, essentially. Aww. So little Juan. <laughs> so Juanito was little Juan. Um, she lived in Coachella, California, and she was 29 at the time that all of this happened. Now, about Juan Navarro. I found his full name as Juan Manuel Navarro, but I literally could not find anything about him. Aww. <laughs> Like I was able to pull up like his arrest record and thing like that, but his date, his birth date was like blacked out. It was hidden on the records. So the only thing that I found was that he's 57 now. So that means he was probably born sometime around 1964 ish time frame. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So that's really all I could find. But I mean, he's he's the bad guy in the story anyway. So I guess we don't need to go too yeah we don't care in depth him. on him. Um, he was the, the father of. Ignacio's three children so keep that in mind as we go through this and he was about 28 at the time this happened but because I don't know when he was actually born I couldn't figure out like an exact age you know mm -hmm. okay so their relationship the two of them met while they were in high school when they were about 16 years old mm -hmm. they became intimate and soon after Ignacio became pregnant with their first child I don't know how soon after uh, like I said I don't know anybody's like real ages in, in this fair. situation fair. <laughs> um so up until december of 1992 they had all been living together in um san bernardino california but then the two of them had broken off the relationships a few months prior in december 1992 like i mentioned before mm -hmm. and i couldn't find out like how that happened because I saw it multiple ways. So there are some sources that said it was a mutual agreement and then he changed his mind. And then there were others that said he broke it off and changed his mind. And then there were others that said she had broken it off. And then somebody he... broke it off regardless. Yes. 
regardless, they broke they broke up and Juan was not really happy about it. <laughs> so Ignacia ended up moving in with her parents. She took the kids with her. Um, and so they were living with her parents at the time. After the breakup, Juan was described as having become, quote, very jealous, aggressive and violent, unquote, which tends to happen in... <sighs> I don't want to say that the relationship was abusive because I don't know that for a fact, but all of the behaviors after the breakup to me speak to, because it's very similar to the description of Judith Barcy's Mm -hmm. father, for example, where he was very possessive, very jealous, um, was threatening, you know, and things like that. And it only gets a little bit worse from here as we talk about like what happened on that day. So One of Ignacia's sisters, Maria, she recalls an incident in January of 93 where she was going to the store with her sister when they noticed that Juan was driving like two car lengths behind them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then she also reported another incident hearing Juan tell Ignacia that if he ever found out or heard that she was with another man, that he would kill them both. Mm -hmm. So very, very possessive. She also stated that if Juan didn't know where Ignacia was, he would become very desperate and jealous and angry. Um, I believe she said that in her testimony later at trial, if I remember where I read that. (laughs) So Juan's sister, whose name is also Maria, but is Maria Hernandez, uh, said Juan was jealous of a neighbor that he believed was getting close with Ignacia. And he stated, quote, if I can't have her, nobody will, unquote, or something along those lines um, about a month before the shooting happened. So it is very telling to me that he said, like, if I can't have her, nobody will like that's it with a lot of abusive relationships. Like as soon as they like try to pull away from something like that, that's what ends up happening is that person becomes possessive. They're like, no, you're mine. Nobody else can have you. And then Mm -hmm. drastic things happen. And that sucks, like, especially because, like, it's not just, like, you're not just affecting this person, you're affecting their entire family, including the children in this instance, because, like, she was a stay-at-home mother, like, she took care of three kids, you know? Yeah. And then I also uh, saw this part where Maria, his sister, said that he allegedly said he was going to kill Maria H.'s sister-in-law, Michelle, because he believed that she was, quote, influencing the victim not to get back together with him, unquote. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to get back to... I don't, wouldn't want her to get back together with you either, so, I mean... I don't think anybody sane would. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I Like I said, I couldn't find out a whole lot of information about him, but he doesn't sound like a great guy. He sounds like he'd be a member of the Garbage Man Association, so... Garbage Man Association. <laughs> We've got another man to add to the lineup. All right, we have a so lot of the crime. I know, but, I mean, to be fair... Um, Okay, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I was going to say most. I was going to say most men, but no, we're not. We're not going to say that. Um. Well, can um. I was going to say Casey Anthony, but yes, she can go. And uh, Susan Susan Smith. Yeah, they they can be honorary members of the Garbage Man Association. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> All right. So the crime, like I said, because it. This was a Valentine's Day crime. It's a Valentine's Day episode. So 
February 14th, 1993. We were in San Bernardino. On the 14th, around 8 a.m., Ignacia, her sister Maria, and the kids went to a friend's place at a baseline apartment in Highland, where Juan followed them. One of the kids ended up letting him into the apartment because they saw that it was their dad. You know, they're probably excited to see him, um, which leads me to believe that they were probably unaware of there being like any conflict between them, which makes sense. Most parents yeah. are going to try to shield their kids from knowing that there's anything bad happening. Mm -hmm. So one said he wanted to renew their relationship, but Ignacia didn't want that. So you're going to say renew their vows. <laughs> Yes. I mean, essentially, well, they actually didn't get married. They were only like boyfriend and girlfriend. Yeah. Apparently from, from everything I saw, like there were some sources that called him, uh, called her his wife, but like, I didn't see that that officially happened. Yeah. And so apparently Ignacia had gotten a restraining order against him because clearly he's had a behavior, uh, a repeated behavior of like following her and like stalking her to places. <laughs> so I do not blame her. Oh, my God. But yeah, he she produced the restraining order from her purse, which apparently sparked an argument in which at some point Maria... Uh, I wish like she just sister. had the um the restraining order I, just like I know stand by like fuck you bitch you might as well right like yeah. just get a copy and fold it up and be like what pow <laughs> whenever you need it bitch <laughs> <laughs> although apparently during this argument Ignacia's sister Maria said that she recalled him saying that a piece of paper wasn't going to keep him away from her which oh, okay I mean that yeah, sounds he's, like he's, normal. Like with, um, he's one of those guys, yeah, know, <laughs> who doesn't take no for an answer, which is very unfortunate. So, Ignacia attempted to call the police, but Juan took the phone from her and basically prevented her from calling the police. He claimed later on in trial that she had put the phone down of her own volition, but based on everything else he's done so far. I don't think that's actually true. Yeah, that's fair. So Juan apparently stayed at that place for the next four hours and then later followed Ignacia and the kids and Maria to a swap meet around noon. And then around that same time, he called a friend of his. Um, I guess there was going to be some sort of party later that day. And he called the friend and told him that, quote, the party's over, unquote, and, quote, to say goodbye to all of his friends, unquote. Aww, so I'd be mad. I'd be like, oh, the party's over? <laughs> yeah. So the friend said that he, like, Juan had sounded sad on the phone, and he thought that he was going to do something drastic to himself. So mm. it kind of makes sense, because usually when somebody's thinking of committing suicide, you know, they are in a way going around telling people goodbye like yeah. without actually specifically saying goodbye yeah so i think if i remember right when i was doing research juan had said that he had planned to kill himself but it wasn't until like in the moment that he like changed his mind yeah <laughs> so he followed ignacia to loma linda university medical center um, she was there getting treatment for her and her son. If I remember right, she had like an earache and he had a sore throat or some flu-like oh, symptoms. I thought you were about to say she had like cancer. And I was like, oh my no, God, that no, is no. awful. <laughs> no. Uh, I they mean, had it's some, awful like, that she got murdered, but like imagine yeah. already having cancer. I mean, I guess in a way, at least you don't have the pain of the long drawn out process of dying from cancer. But even still, like either way, I don't think anybody wants to die in like before their time 
Um, that is false because uh, people who commit suicide clearly wanted I mean, to die. That's true. Okay, I take it's not that funny, back. but I'm just saying, like that is false. <laughs> <laughs> not in the not in this situation. No. So the registration clerk recalled Ignacia seemed quote very nervous unquote and was yeah, also he's like about to commit murder. <laughs> yeah, well, I I guess he didn't go into the uh, hospital or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, Ignacia, I guess when she was registering, she looked nervous and was looking over her shoulder shoulder constantly because she probably knew he was following her. So yeah. So it was around 3 p.m. when she was leaving the hospital. That argument from earlier continued in the parking lot. According to an ambulance tech who witnessed the incident, his name was Bradford Montgomery. He said he couldn't really understand what they were saying because they were speaking in Spanish, but that it was clear that it was an argument because he saw Ignacia was crying um, and she was trying to get into her truck, but Juan pulled her out of it. And then Juan shot Ignacia. Hmm. Keep in mind, she was there with her son. Their so son he saw did it all in of front this. Of her? Oh my god! Their four-year-old son saw all of this. Oh happen. my god! Um, That's awful. so. He shot one gunshot into the right side of right side of her head, and then there was another in the abdomen as she was falling. And then once she was on the ground, he, uh, she was shot again in the left side of the head. Each wound had soot around it the forensic pathologist said so that means that the gun's muzzle was literally right up against her so she was shot at point blank range and then one of the hospital spokespeople anita rockwell said that she had been shot near the emergency room entrance in the parking lot so they there were people in the parking lot who witnessed all of this and they ran inside to notify hospital personnel and then Bradford Montgomery, the ambulance tech, he testified that he attempted to follow Juan um, mm -hmm. out of the parking lot because Juan ended up taking Juanito and basically tried to flee with him. And we'll get right to that after a quick word about our sponsors. He attempted to follow him, but... He he lost him at some point during the chase, but he was able to get some information like about the car um, before he returned to the emergency room. During the time that he was following, like I said, he got the make and model and all that to help investigators. Juanito had told the authorities when he got interviewed later mm -hmm. that he had gotten into the passenger side of his mother's truck, but got back out to go to his parents while they were arguing. And that's when he heard that, like that's when the shots were fired. And he said during um, the January pre-trial hearing that uh, he saw his dad shoot his mom. Oh my like, God. He saw it. So Juan fled the scene in a, what was called a late model faded gray Chrysler four-door sedan with Juanito. Ignacia was rushed into surgery, but she was pronounced dead uh, at 3.43 p.m. Uh, the forensic pathologist believed she died only a few minutes after being shot. Um, so then, so, well, if they think that, then why did they, was she still showing signs of life, or did they just take her would, to the hospital? Well, she was already in the parking lot, so I imagine they, like, rushed her in to try and uh, okay. get her, like, try and see if they could, like, stop the bleeding and, you know, get her revived. But well, if you get shot twice in the head, then, I mean, most, it's most a miracle of if somebody get yeah, it's a miracle if somebody survives getting shot in the head. Not everybody can be, you know, like uh, in our Black Week episode, not everybody can get shot in the head and survive. You know? Yeah. So it's, it's very rare when something like that happens, especially at point blank range. Yeah. 
So according to more of Juanito's testimony at that preliminary hearing, um, Juan had taken him to a nearby restaurant where he made a call and another car came and met them and picked them up. Juan gave the gun to the driver who put it into the glove compartment. And then Juanito was taken to a ranch somewhere where he said he didn't know anybody and he didn't see his father at any point after he arrived at the ranch. Um, so he said at the ranch he was treated, quote, meanly, unquote, Aww. and there were parties every day. Um, it was just a bunch of adults. I have no idea. Like, I, I'm i assuming it's just like a bunch of people just hanging out because yeah, it was like, like a bunch of adults. Well, the this Whoever this third party was oh, drove they him, him there okay mm-hmm. i was like um and then and then i guess his dad must have run at that point because he said he didn't see his dad at any point after he arrived at the ranch so i don't know if the dad was there for a little while and then he left or if he just left right away so he was there for a few weeks so it wasn't until march 3rd when juanito was taken to juan's mother's house by they said an anonymous individual so they never actually saw who took him there but they don't think it was juan and then uh juan's mother ended up bringing juanito to the authorities because obviously he'd been kidnapped he'd been missing for three weeks so yeah so what Juanito explained happened that day. He said his dad shot his mom in the head and the stomach and that there was ketchup everywhere. Cause you know, it's a four year old. He doesn't realize that that's blood. So he Aww. said there's, there was ketchup everywhere. That's, so that's like, I can't even imagine going through something that traumatic at such a young age. Like he I was can't imagine four. getting shot and I got shot. <laughs> well, imagine yeah, watching your mom get shot. At the yeah. Way. Yeah, because like for the first couple of years of your life, you don't really hold on to memories very much. It's not until about three or well, yeah, it's not until about three or four years old when we start to actually like create and hold on Mm -hmm. to memories. So like something like that, that's gonna stick with him for the rest of his life. Like that's that's rough. So following the murder. Juan fled the country to Mexico, where he stayed hidden and out of reach for about 17 years total. He was apparently spotted in Mexicali, so like right across the border almost immediately, but he wasn't Mexicali? arrested. That's literally what they call it, for real? Mexicali. Yeah, that's that's the capital of that uh, Baja, California area. <laughs> <laughs> So he was apparently spotted there immediately, but he wasn't arrested. They didn't, I didn't see exactly why that was, but I imagine it was something to do with like extradition. Like they didn't have the permission to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So sometime within the next couple of years, the FBI did obtain a federal unlawful flight warrant for him and they used a fugitive task force to search for him. And then also in that time, Ignacio's family, they never gave up hope that he would be found and held to account. So Philippa and, or Philippa, I'm not exactly sure how it's pronounced, um, and their father, they would actually travel to Mexico. The district attorney who prosecuted this case, Margaret Bevan, said that they went down pretty much every other weekend, it, it seemed like, to try and track him down, like... I believe in the show notes, I have the little documentary that I watched that was released by their office that shows them basically like going around showing Juan's picture to people, seeing if they were, they could find any leads to try and figure out like where he was. So like they were, they were very They're involved like, in searching him down. Basically. Cause he, he murdered their, their family member, you know? 
Yeah. And then apparently Antonio, their father, also testified before Congress where he appealed to the government to work together with like the Mexican officials to find and extradite him. So like this was this was a big deal. Yeah. So Juan was actually found finally near Mexico City where he was arrested by Mexican officials. And apparently while he was hiding out in Mexico for that like 17 years or whatever, he got married and she had two children and then they had a, a son together um, as and well. And just so, completely abandoned the other son. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like he had three children already in America that he completely abandoned after he murdered their mother. And then he fly like he flees to Mexico City and he gets married and then has this whole other family. So he's not only ruined his old family, but now he's ruined his new family because he's he, a murderer. Yeah. And just the fact that he went about his life as if like nothing. So happened, did he you know? like, was he abusive towards the other wife too? Or not like abusive since we didn't know. I didn't see anything um, really about that other family other than the fact that he had them. They probably didn't want to be in the spotlight because it's not their fault. Yeah. Especially because like they probably had no idea. Like, they're like, oh my god, I've been catfished. <laughs> well, um, especially because this is like early 90s, so it's like there's some stuff out there on the internet, but it's not like widely available, you know? Oh, I forget um, they didn't have the internet in the, in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a recent, it's a recent development. Do you remember the 90s? Vaguely. <laughs> the oh. thing that I remember the most about the 90s is being in love with the Backstreet Boys. Like, my sister and I would practice the uh dance moves to some of their like music videos and whatnot in our playroom my brother was terrified of the backstreet's back music video because that was the one where like they were um one of them was like dr jack on mr hyde one was a mummy one was a werewolf you know and so it's like he was terrified of that so if we ever didn't want him to come up into the playroom we would just tell him we were watching that video <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i i do remember bits and pieces of the 90s because i was born, I was in, born in nine yeah i was born in 91 so like i do have like towards the end of the 90s i i have some some more memories but it's not too much May. oh wait that's in sync <laughs> that's in sync but yeah i was i was more of a backstreet boys kind of person but... I want it that's the one so also while he was in Mexico, he started his own construction business. So like this dude literally just went out there, created this whole new life after murdering somebody and mm -mm -mm. like lived that way for almost 20 years. You can't like, see that, but I'm shaking my head. That, like that to me, like, I don't understand how somebody can do that. You know, how can somebody can murder another person, take away their life, ruin an whole bunch of people's lives because like she had nine siblings her parents her three kids that's still and then a just... lot of siblings wait i thought she had nine so she had how many si i thought she had nine sisters no she had five sisters and four five brothers sisters. i thought she i thought you said nine sisters and four brothers <laughs> no, and i was like no. jesus christ no no five sisters and four brothers but even still like that's that's a so lot there's of 10 kids in total so, like, that's a whole lot of people. I need a new hobby. <laughs> <laughs> they do. You need to I stop. Mean, sometimes you just you just can't keep your hands off each other. Oh, my God. Call my mom. I want to go home. <laughs> but, yeah, he 
he literally ruins all of these people's lives and then just goes about his goes about his business like I swear he's like nothing happens uh, i would not be surprised so between when they found him in January and arrested him and then November, he was held um, down in Mexico while they obtained approval for extradition back to the U.S. Because, you know, there's always red tape and all this kind of stuff. So he was flown back to the U.S. and booked into jail in San Bernardino County on September 30th of 2010. So pretty Whoa. recently. Yeah, that's recent. 12 years ago. Yeah. He had a no bail he had a warrant. Peace pass? No. Oh. <laughs> he had a no bail warrant put out against him for murder and kidnapping. So that was I what thought- they used to. <laughs> it's not funny. I thought I thought you were saying a no bail like super country, and I was like I- a no bail peace prize for what? <laughs> <laughs> when have I ever gotten super country, Brittany? <laughs> I don't know. It's just the way he was no bail. <laughs> I'm like, what? (laughs) Yes, I have suddenly morphed into (laughs) into uh, me. The yes, I've sort of taken on your accent. I've stolen it from you. Can't help it. (laughs) It's okay. It's adorable on you. So, so at this preliminary hearing, I kind of mentioned a little bit here and there. At the time, Juanito was 22, so that meant he was able to testify as a witness along with others. So, I imagine it was a lot of like family members who spoke, because um, if I remember right, like the sisters um, and the sister-in-laws, you know, they all spoke. They were um, like, "This man sucks ass." Essentially, which I mean, in is the bad ba- valid, way. yeah. <laughs> Not in the cl- somewhat enjoyable way that I've heard people like. Okay, so. As soon as Amanda hears this, she's probably going to say a whole bunch of stuff because, like, she's always talking to me about how she doesn't oh, understand no. why people, like, oh, I enjoy this was going in a different direction. Enjoy, like, <laughs> anal. And not, not enjoy anal, but, like, that, like, people actually, like, eat ass. <laughs> she's like, oh, I just, I just thought people were, like, joking. <laughs> I didn't realize that was a thing people actually did. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> um... So my uh, grandma listens to this, so skip this part, Glinda. But <laughs> sorry, grandma. I didn't know what a rim job was for like the longest time. Yeah, <laughs> like until last week. <laughs> and then I got out. I was like, "Oh my god!" I thought it was something for your car. <laughs> also, uh, I recently just found out what a see you next Tuesday was. Um, oh. So I texted Chris about it today, and I was like, "What is see you next Tuesday?" He's, I was like, "What does that mean?" He said, "It means see you next Tuesday." I was like, "No, you lied to me. It means cunt." <laughs> the fact, liar. The fact that it took you until now to know what that means, you, you're so so innocent. <laughs> no, I just don't think. <laughs> So at the preliminary hearing, the judge determined there was enough evidence to hold him on charges of murder and kidnapping. So apparently, um, this is what I mentioned earlier, that Juan testified he had planned to kill himself in front of Ignacia, which is like why he was calling his friend to say goodbye and whatnot. But while they were in their argument, she had told him that, well, allegedly told him, like nobody else can confirm what was said. So he said that she told him at the hospital that quote, he should not be there, that she was always unfaithful to him and that the children might not be his unquote. According to him, like I, I, 
I don't think that's true, but I don't know. You know, like nobody else can confirm what was said, which is what prompted him to shoot her instead because he got mad, you know? Yeah, but damn. Yeah. He says... Go to Mari. Don't shoot somebody. Honestly. And then he says the reason why he didn't kill himself after shooting her was because he didn't want to leave his son alone. And it's like, okay, but then you you fled to Mexico for like 20 years. Well, he also years. believed that his son wasn't his. Yeah. So. so it's like the reasoning doesn't add up here, bud. Like, I don't understand why you would say you don't want to leave your son alone and then you take him to some ranch and leave him alone. Like, what? <laughs> like, I, the, the, the mental gymnastics to get to that point, I don't understand. <laughs> Men. Men. I know, honestly. Uh <laughs> So he was convicted in San Bernardino Superior Court of first degree murder and a gun use allegation. Um, Essentially, he got 25 years for the first degree murder, 25 to life, Um, and then an additional five years because he used a gun while doing it. Because I guess in California at the time, that was an additional charge like i guess but that's kind of a dumb charge well it's i guess it's it's like you use the gun in the um which california is super strict on their gun laws anyway i think it's like you used a gun in the commission of a felony or something like that so it just it's like an aggravating circumstance sort of that's like i told you that south carolina doesn't have degrees of murder right yeah you, you yeah you mentioned that i found out north carolina doesn't either interesting I wonder how many places don't have... I think that's so weird. Yeah. Like, how do you base sentence? Well, I think here... I could be wrong. So, if I'm wrong, tell me nicely. Um, but I think it's like a blanket sentence. Like, everybody. Mm-hmm. Does that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Interesting. I'll have to look... I'll have to look into that. Because that's... I didn't know that there were multiple places that did that. So at some point, the kidnapping charge was dismissed. Um, it was December of 2011. Um, I only found that out because of like public court do- documents because I, I looked up the case information. And I was like, all right, I need to see if I can find any information whatsoever on Juan. And so I found the case information and I found like where he's like currently serving his sentence. But that's about all mm-hmm. I could find. He has to serve 16 years and eight months before he's eligible for parole. But So wait, is he? he's not a citizen though, is he? Um, he is. I don't actually know. I thought I found what might have been a naturalization paperwork for him, but because I didn't know what year he was born, I didn't. I there's no way to confirm if it was him or not. So he might so, have been a naturalized citizen, but he might also not have been. So I I don't actually know. If he's not a citizen, why is he serving? Is it because the crime happened? Because I thought if they committed a crime. Then they get deported and they had to go through the Mexican to my knowledge jail system. My my knowledge is that because the crime happened in America, that he goes he, to American prison. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if he gets released, does that mean he's deported? That would be my guess. Like if he's not a U.S. citizen, he would be deported after he got released. If he gets released, because he was given like thirty years to life, so. He's eligible for parole, but it doesn't mean he's necessarily going to get out. Yeah, he has to win over the parole board. Yeah, exactly. Um, And he's serving that in state prison. So he is, um, I think I have the name, at the Chukwala Valley State Prison. So he is eligible for parole in April of 2028. So Mm. that's, he's got a ways to go. 
So they did Six actually, years. yeah, they did actually file an appeal. <laughs> I'm like, what is there to appeal? Of if you're course ready? they do. I swear they're going to file an appeal regardless. Yeah. So um, his lawyer, Mark J. Sullivan, said uh, he did so on the basis of prejudi- prejudicial error resulting in a denial of due process. So these were the reasons why they said that this was the case. So even though his son saw him. All of these are quotes directly from the like case text, and I have that linked up in the sources as well. Um, it said, allowing admission of several purported hearsay statements. So I'm assuming that's the, like the siblings and whatnot talking about things that they heard him say to the sister, things along those lines. Failing to adequately investigate an allegation of misinterpretation by defendant's Spanish interpreter. Because I guess he didn't speak English from what I gathered through the through a lot of what I was reading. So he had an interpreter in court. He might have spoken mm-hmm. a little bit of English, but it wasn't enough to clearly like sit in court without an interpreter. So according to this, he might have misinterpreted something. I don't know if that's actually true or if they're just trying to use that as like a technicality to get the case like overturned. Denying defendant's motion for a mistrial. I didn't see why he was asking for a mistrial. Um, So I didn't see the reason for that. It might be in the case text and I just overlooked it. And then also failing to award him an additional 118 days of custody credit. Um, I'm assuming that's for the... um, like time served, you know, from the mm-hmm. time that he was captured in January until when he was like extradited to the US. That would be my mm-hmm. guess. So like that I could understand. But so everything was denied except for the custody credit, which they did award for him. Uh, but everything else, the judgment from the original trial was upheld. I don't know if they have filed more appeals, but I did see that there was some sort of thing that happened recently on the court document it said something was sent to the defendant so i'm assuming they're probably going to try to do something with it at some point soon so who knows might still be an open case or an appealed case but for right now he is still serving his prison sentence as he should Period. So some of the aftermath, uh, Ignacia's funeral was held on February 19th um, in 1993 at Our Lady of Soledad Catholic Church in Coachella. Um, she was buried in the Coachella Valley Public Cemetery. And That's a real place. Yes. Coachella is Wait, named is... after the city of Co- or the city in California, Coachella. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> The more you know. So, yeah, she's buried at the public cemetery there. Juan is serving his sentence, like I said, at Chukwala Valley State Prison. And according to Felipa, Ignacia's sister, um, Juanito has suffered a lot as a result of what he witnessed, which is completely understandable. Um, Yeah. uh, But this, like everything that I'm about to say is a quote from Felipa. So I'm just just quoting her, but I'm not going to, like, state quotes anyway his mental state is not of a 22 year old he is very insecure and unstable he suffers from anxiety he did not finish high school no matter how much his grandparents and family insisted and persuaded for him to continue his education he just didn't seem to see beyond the shooting i know for a fact just like any other child he needed the guidance and love of his mother things would have been very different if she was alive He feels very lonely and not loved. We have also suggested counseling for him, but doesn't feel nor see the need for it. Not sure of what the future holds for him. We all worry about him daily and pray for God to guide him and protect him. 
So he, like, seeing that at four years old, I can't it's imagine. It's going to stay with him for the rest of his life. Yeah. Like, I imagine there's probably also some, like, survivor's guilt in that. Like, maybe he, it's not something that he's consciously aware of, but it's the fact that, yeah. like, he was there. I imagine, like, of course, this is me speculating, so don't, like, take all of this with a grain of salt, but I imagine that even though he was four years old at the time and, like, logically he knows he probably couldn't have done anything, that there's that guilt there of, like, I should have done something, you know? Mm -hmm. Especially because when we look back on something, like, on an instance, like, it, hindsight's always twenty twenty. It's like, oh, I could have done this, I could have done that, you know? And especially when it's something traumatic like that, like, there's no way that he would have known yeah it's like especially at that age yeah at that age and i imagine that the parents at least his mother tried very hard not to let the kids know what was going on between them so like there's no way he could have known that his dad of all people was going to be the one who took his mother from him and like that's probably the saddest thing of all to me is the fact that he not only did he lose his mother but he also lost his father at the same time you know mm -hmm. like sure his dad's not a great guy but at the same time like still his father and I imagine having to witness that and then I don't know it's just a lot it's a lot to R. put R. on a four year old yeah and now he would be I believe he'd be like in his 30s He's a little bit older than I am by a couple of years. So, yeah, he's... I hope he's doing better. Um, I didn't see any updates, um, any recent updates about anybody. In the little documentary thing, they're, uh, both of the daughters, uh, Lucy and uh, Annabelle, both testified at like the sentencing hearing. They have both gotten married. Um, they've graduated mm -hmm. and things like that. So they've at least managed to kind of move forward but then again they also weren't there when it happened yeah so like the the part where they said that uh no matter how much the parents and family insisted and persuaded for him to continue his education like i understand why they want to do that because education's important to a lot of people but at the same time it's like it's easier said than done when you're dealing with that kind of trauma it's really sad like I don't know. The whole the whole case was really sad. Yeah. So, <laughs> happy Valentine's Day. Love is dead. <laughs> All right, then. So, thank you guys for listening. Like, ugh, I know that was rough, but listen, this is this is a murder podcast. I don't know what you expected. <laughs> so, uh, you can find us on social media. We are at Shockingly Wicked Podcast on Instagram, on YouTube, and on Facebook. We are on Twitter at Wicked Podcast One. You can find us on TikTok at Shockingly Wicked. We also have our website at Shockingly Wicked or ShockinglyWickedPodcast.com. Um, and then we also have our Patreon, which is Shockingly Wicked Podcast. We have three different tiers, all with bonus content. You get blooper reels, you get unedited interviews, you get stickers. Couple, 
stickers, you get bonus episodes, you get exclusive access to certain things, and then you get early access to things like merch drops, announcements, things of that nature. You can get a shout out you on can the get, podcast. Yes, and you also get a personal thank you message from me and Brittany, thanking you for your support. I'll just go ahead and give a blanket support regardless of whether or not you actually join our Patreon. We appreciate you guys listening because without this, none of this is possible. Without you, none of this is possible is what I meant to say. (laughs) But if you do subscribe to our Patreon, everything that is put into this podcast goes right back into it Mm -hmm. to make it better for you. Yes. So anything you give us, we give right back to you in terms of higher production quality, consistent you know consistent content consistency yeah because that's something (laughs) my therapist says i have a problem with and to be honest with you like when it's just the two of us it's hard it's hard Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's hard to do all this stuff when it's just the two of us so we would like we would like to get a couple more people onto our team to help us make sure that things get out to you when they're supposed to Everything is good quality. I want to hire somebody to do my research. (laughs) I'm okay with the research. I want to hire somebody to do the transcripts because I'm fair. Mm -mm. No, I I can do my own research, but my brain. (laughs) That's valid. It's fried. (laughs) I I have to. I want to quit my job, guys. Yeah. So give us enough money so that Brittany can quit her job. So thank you again so much for watching. I guess listening, not watching, whatever. Words. It's it is what it is. Uh thank it you is. so much for listening. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean that's not super late for me, but I mean it's been a day. So thank you again for listening. We will see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.